Welcome to Brighton Adventure Story Podcast. Chapter 23. Three Rivers. After being cooped up inside for most of the weekend, James found that he was looking forward to going back to school. The rain, which had worsened throughout Sunday, was falling even more heavily when he woke up on Monday morning. But he didn't mind it thrumming on his coat hood as he dodged round giant puddles on the pavement. He was out of the house and would not be back for hours. The last thing he had done before setting off for school was to check the Green Hands Gang chat. The rain had kept most of them inside for the majority of Sunday, and the chat had been all about figuring out the map. Fred had managed to create a version of the map that was blank apart from the fold lines. Several children had printed it out to practice on. Wilf had uploaded a picture of his attempted fold with the title Triangular Bird Pig, which is apparently what it looked like if you folded it his way. No one had managed to come up with the right order of mountain and valley folds. Jenny had been silent most of the time, mainly chatting when she needed a break from folding the map. By the end of the day, even she didn't sound convinced that the lines represented folds. No other breakthroughs had been made over the weekend. James figured he would finish his schoolwork quickly, then go back to working on the map for the rest of the day. The puddles along the way to school were bigger than James had ever seen. The last road before school was just one huge puddle from one side to the other. James had noticed the sandbags and flood defences in the front gardens of the houses before, but he hadn't actually seen them being used. It was so bad that James had to go the long way round and ended up being five minutes late to the computer room. Everyone else was at their individual desks already, absorbed in work. The teacher, Mr Brennan, signed James in and suggested he hang his sopping coat on a free chair near the door. James did so and sat down and concentrated on getting his work done as quickly as possible. It actually took him until lunch to finish it off. Mr Brennan said that the field was too waterlogged for cross-country running and took them to the sports hall for a socially distanced beep test. James had never done a beep test before, and afterwards he hoped he would never have to do one again. It consisted of two lines drawn 20 metres apart and a recording of a beeping noise that got gradually more frequent. You had to run the 20 metres before the next beep sounded. If you missed three beeps in a row, you were out. It was a little bit like torture, especially for James, who was adamant that he would not be the first one to go out. Luckily for him, just when he was about to collapse, Max had planted his foot awkwardly on the line, turned his ankle and fallen. That meant James could legitimately stop to check on the other boy while also not being the first one out. The hall was only wide enough for half the key worker children to run at once, so they did the beat test twice. Between the test and Max's injury, it was almost the end of the day before James knew it. He just had time to try and check the Greenhands gang chat, but found that the server was blocked by the school's firewall. The rain had managed to worsen during the day. James had planned on taking the long way home via Preston Park to check on the Sentinel and see the rats at the clock tower. He set off at a brisk pace and was just wondering if you could actually drown while walking if the rain was hard enough when he noticed that Jenny was waiting for him at the school gate. She had an umbrella over her head being tugged by the wind and a slightly moody look on her face. Hi, he said. 
You didn't answer my messages, she said. I sent loads. The school blocked the chat, he said. I emailed you too, to your school account, in code. Oh, he said. I didn't check it, sorry. Come on, she said. I'll tell you about it on the way. On the way? To the car. Jenny pointed over the road, where her car was parked. I persuaded Annabelle to give us a lift. She crossed over before James could ask where they were driving to. He followed quickly, jumping over a lake of a puddle that had overflowed the gutter, and got into the back seat, glad to be out of the rain. His suction hook was on the seat next to him. Did it work? he asked, holding it up. Perfectly, Jenny said. He put it away in his bag. Buckle up, Annabelle said. I hate driving in the rain. The wipers always get in the way. James quickly put his seatbelt on. Where are we going? he asked. To the Quaker meeting house, Jenny said. I worked the folding sequence out, and I think I know what the long man was doing there. They avoided the road with the huge puddle and drove up and over Carden Hill toward Preston Park. A torrent of water was running down the steep hill, overflowing the drains and gutters. They only passed one other car on the road on the way to Preston Park. Annabel swerved over and stopped halfway down Preston Park Avenue. One last rat's relief package, Jenny said, unbuckling her seatbelt. James went with her, running under the cover of the trees toward the clock tower. The little path that ran parallel with the road had turned into a stream. They both leapt it and found Zen and Bobby under a tree near the clock tower. Here, Jenny said, giving Zen the food parcel. This might be the last one for today. You may as well go back to Ratterston. Will the rain affect the town? James asked. It floats, Zen shrugged. When the Wellsborn rises, so does the town. We haven't seen the long man for two days, Jenny said. It might be safe for the rats now. Tell that to his lordship, Bobby said. He calls the shots. The rats scurried away. The drive to the Quaker meeting house was a memorable one. Not just because of the terrible flooding, which got worse as they went, but also the fact that Annabel nearly crashed three times and went the wrong way down a one-way street, much to the annoyance of an irate honking taxi coming the other way. "'How are you supposed to see the road signs when it's raining like this?' she said, waving wildly at the protesting taxi driver as they squeezed past. The flooding was much worse down on the Old Steen. There was practically a lake from the Royal Pavilion all the way across to St James's Street. The water on the road was at least a foot deep. It sprayed up and over the bonnet and formed a dirty wall that blocked James's view out of his window. Annabel steered them through it, cursing as she went, and using the wrong side of the road where it seemed like the water was shallower. It was a good thing that everyone else seemed to have the good sense to stay at home. They stopped on Ship Street, just round the corner from the Quaker Meeting House. Now that they were out of the deep water and not being thrown around by Annabel's wild driving, James could pay more attention to Jenny's discovery. It was actually quite straightforward, she said loudly over the hammering of the rain on the car. She held up the neatly folded map. He noticed she was still wearing the Oratel's green gloves. The map had not been turned into an animal at all. It was perfectly flat and in the shape of a regular pentagon. And it was much smaller than the unfolded version. Jenny had slotted it into a transparent A3 wallet. I just had to look at each layer in order and fold along the lines that interacted with that layer, the U-turns and double-backs. James wasn't sure it made sense to him. But how did you know which colour to start with, he asked. Same as the rainbow, she said. Red first, then orange and so on. 
How can you be sure that you got it in the right order? Because now the green layer and the blue layer make sense, she said. You were right. The sundial clock things are the clock tower, and there are three rivers under the town. She handed him a clear green spoon and the blue pencil sharpener to look through, and held the map for him to see. He put the spoon over his eye, then the sharpener, and saw what she meant. The folds had moved the rivers and the clock towers so that they were in the right place. The clock towers at Preston Park and Blakers were exactly east-west from each other. And the rivers flowed properly. All the loops and double-backs had been folded out of the way. The river from Lewis flowed under the Queen's Park clock tower, and a third smaller river ran down under the town centre clock tower. What's at this bit, he said, looking through the sharpener, at a point where the three tributaries met. That's the Quaker meeting house, she said. The rivers all meet right here. I think that the long man has got the journeymen to build some kind of wall or dam to block the rivers. That's why the town's starting to flood. But why would the long man want to flood the town? James asked. And he must know that he can't flood everywhere. Most of the town's on a hill, or five hills, maybe more. It was true that Brighton was a town of many hills, which sloped up steeply from the sea and from the two valleys marked by London Road and Lewis Road. Any flooding, even severe, would be restricted to those valleys and drain into the sea. I don't know why he's doing it, she said, but I want to check I'm right. Listen, you two, Annabel said, we can't stay here any longer, look. She pointed out through the rain-soaked windscreen. Two human forms in dark uniforms were slowly making their way toward them. Parking wardens, she said, and I'm not paying for a ticket. Plus, I want to get the car home while I still can. Last thing I need is to get stranded in a puddle. You two can walk home, or swim. I don't care. Jenny put the map away, and they got out, sheltering from the deluge in a shop doorway. Annabel pulled jerkily away. The oncoming traffic wardens looked disappointedly at the freshly emptied parking space. Leaping over more gutter rivers, James and Jenny made it to the pavement on the other side and turned the corner into Prince Albert Street. Jenny's umbrella took the brunt of the rain, but there were simply too many puddles to avoid. James's feet were wet through after a few steps. The Quaker meeting house was just ahead. There were two soggy hooded figures standing just inside the gardens. Keep walking, Jenny said under her breath. They're journeymen. We can go round to the Triple M entrance. But when they turned left into the narrow lane that ran along the back of the meeting house, there was another hooded figure standing right next to the bricked-up door. Jenny paused when she saw them, and James quickly pulled her forward and passed the wet journeyman. Rounding the corner, they huddled out of the rain in an entrance to an old pub. They're guarding the meeting house, Jenny said. They must be to make sure that the wall or dam isn't tampered with. We've got to get inside and check. I've got an idea, James said. Even if we can't get in from up here, we can try from underneath. It was a two-minute run from the lanes to the town centre clock tower. There was no one on the streets, and no traffic moving through the torrential rain. As usual, there was no obvious keyhole on the outside of the clock tower. The trick was to look for a squiducken. Jenny found it first, scratched into a marble tile with a wide crack underneath. She pulled the squiducken key out of the box and pushed it into the crack and turned it. The secret door opened. The dry darkness was a welcoming sight. James was glad to get out of the downpour, 
When the door swung closed behind them, it took the incessant drumming of the rain with it, leaving them in peaceful quiet. Jenny had come prepared and had her torch ready. They descended, stairs first, then the two ladders, before finding themselves on the wooden walkway right by the bridge to Ratterston. It was crowded with worried-looking rats, surrounding the huge and equally worried-looking Lord Ratzenberg. Zen was right. The town did float. It was now much higher. The top of the tallest building looked perilously close to the cavern roof. And the Wellsbourne, usually placid and slow-moving, was choppy and fast. Splashes were coming up onto the walkway, which, James realised, must also be floating. The children approached the ratty crowd. They were bombarding Lord Ratzenberg with questions about the rising water. Two of the nearest rats sniffed the air and turned round. When they saw the children, they sneered and hissed. The whole crowd turned to look at them. The smallest and youngest creatures shied away, but the older, larger ones joined in with the hissing. Scam! A rat near the back shouted. Filth! Look em up! I think it's time for a barbecue! An old, scraggy-faced rat squeaked. A human roast! Barbecue! Barbecue! The whole crowd started to chant. A few of the meanest-looking rats were pushing through the crowd with vicious-looking knives in their claws. James wanted to explain, to tell them that it was the Green Hand gang that had been sending the food parcels, that they were friends. Jenny put a hand on his wet coat sleeve and pulled him gently away. He looked over to Lord Ratzenberg for help, but the blubber-faced rat simply let out a sigh of relief and slipped silently away, leaving the children to deal with the angry mob alone.